0: And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of e trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world.
1: E Partrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase
2: globally your racing product and technology.
1: Good morning! and uh, welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from EparTrade, your global online platform for the performance and racing industry. I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of EparTrade. This morning with me are Julie Kinn, the co-founder of EparTrade, and our wonderful host, Mr. Jeff Hammond. Today it is episode 205. We are going to bring uh, on board with us, a gentleman who has been with us before, Jess Hewitt, who has a tremendous uh, expertise in fuel and racing fuel and racing distribution. So uh, this is going to be the topic today of episode 205. Good morning, Julie,
3: how are we doing? Good morning everyone. So it's really hard to believe that we have produced and hosted over 200 technical webinars and our library is all on the platform but yesterday we just confirmed our whole schedule and through the month of June and now we're looking at working on the final half of the year so that's exciting too. There's a nice little demand for these webinars and Jeff we're thankful to have you joining us this year and Brad Gilley as well, so thank you for that. Well, I guess the best thing to say is Happy New Year to everybody, uh, all of our loyal attendees and everybody who's made ePartrate what it is and will continue to help promote it and make it better in the future, and I'm excited about being a part of it. Um, race season is definitely underway. It doesn't matter whether it's your local short track, it's the 24 Hours of Daytona, or this upcoming weekend, the Daytona 500. Um the whole country, the whole world is a buzz because I think so many race fans, man, they're starving right now. They want racing. They want racing at all levels. And uh, I'm excited today because the fact that we've got this great company out coming on out that is an intricate part of worldwide racing. So, uh, I'm excited to be back and excited to be a part of today's event. Just a little history about,
1: uh, you know, Hyperfuels. They have been a distribution business. They are the exclusive distributor now for Racing Fuel for uh, Elf and Total Lubricant. I've had the privilege of working with Jess and his organization when he was with Gulf uh, Racing Fuel that has been in business for decades. So uh, he has a real expertise. And here is Mr. Jess, are you there? Can you hear us? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. So, <laughs> Jeff, okay. how are you in charge? You guys are on for the next 45 minutes.
4: Okay, let me get my uh, webinar going back because I've got a pick up from my computer. All right, thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Sorry about the technical glitches today. I'm coming from my Thank home you. office and uh, we have a Fiber connection at the office is being put in today, so I didn't want to lose connection. So I'm broadcasting from right. hand.
3: Great. I mean, like I say, it's good to see you again. We uh, we spoke, you know, last year, and uh, I'm excited to find out what is uh, what's been going on since the last time we had a chance to talk uh, about your your company and what's going on down there in the great state of Texas, and not to mention worldwide. So, uh, my friend, I'll let you take it away, and you can dazzle us now that you got your computer and everything working like you, uh, like you want it to, it uh, looks like.
4: Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yes, uh, Hyperfuels was founded in 1998 as a way to make high-performance fuels, fluids, and additives available nationwide. We were the ones that initiated the little five-gallon pail in 1998, as I've been making fuel for a long time and had shipped samples to people all over the world, all over the country. So I knew that I could put a five-gallon pail on UPS and FedEx So we market a number of fuels, including Aspen Clean Fuels, Sin Diesel Pure Fuels, that's our brand of ethanol free gasoline, and Elf Racing Fuels and Fluids, Sunoco and Torco. My experience has mostly been in the fuel business, designed gasoline and diesel fuel for over the road markets. I've been a member of the American Society of Testing Materials, that's ASTM committee that regulates fuel quality, been regional executive for the SECA Houston region, President of the Texas Biodiesel Coalition back when we started making biodiesel and Chairman of the Marketing Committee of the National Biodiesel. Also was on the NYMEX Advisory Committee for the introduction of the natural gas and propane contracts and member of the National Association of Business Economists. I've raced SCCA, spec racer, Formula Ford, Formula Mazda. So
3: I've got some racing
4: experience here today and I'd like to share something that I think is gonna be an issue in the future. Can
3: you turn that down just a little bit
4: Okay. So, I know the title may have been kind of interesting. Uh, I I didn't want to sound too many alarms, but I wanted to present something here today talk to you about Avgas. Avgas has been used by racers for a long time. It was, after all, one of the first high-octane leaded fuels that could be used by aviation, and certainly the guys that were in aviation, we're selling it to the racing fuel guys because they really weren't racing fuels at the time this was invented. It's getting harder and harder for racers to buy their ports They're requiring tail numbers and all sorts of identification for the purchase. And it looks like it may be getting even harder to purchase in the near future. We started packaging ab gas about three years ago to ship to foreign countries because not all countries have leaded aviation gasoline. And so for those countries that don't have it, they have to import it in packages. So let's go back through the history. So leaded gasoline in the United States was created in the 1920s to increase octane numbers for auto engines. GM had a hand in it, and this was the precursor to the founding of a company called Ethyl. Ethyl was synonymous with the name for leaded gasoline, tetroethyl lead. And they started putting it in engines about 1923 or so. And then aviation use soon followed with high octane gasolines using up to five grams per liter of lead in gasoline. Uh, that produced a very, very high octane leaded fuel. Um, we went through a number of different changes in leaded high octane gasoline. And eventually we landed on one. That was called 100 low lead, which only used 0.5 grams per liter of lead in the fuel. Now, for many of you that are younger than me, you may not have been around when the lead phase-out happened for for automobiles. The lead phase-out was created by an act that Congress passed in 1970 called the Clean Air Act. And it started us on the process of phasing out lead content in gasolines. So in 1973, they mandated this phase-in reduction and in 1974, I want to emphasize this first line, the EPA required the availability of at least one grade of unleaded gasoline in order to be compatible with 1975 Macon Model Gear vehicles and, and newer. And what, I, I want to focus on that. In gas stations, we had a number of different fuels in gas stations. So it was pretty easy for a gas station to take out one leaded gasoline service and put in an unleaded gasoline service. Now, keep that thought because when we go through what's gonna to happen to the aviation gasoline market, that will come, become clear to be a key point in this phase out. So by and 1986,
3: Jess, yes. Could, could I ask you a question at this point? So that just Absolutely. clarification would be, we're talking about leaded gas, we're talking about the av gas, we're talking about airplanes and everything, but there's probably some folks, like you say, that maybe weren't around and, and understand it totally. What the need was for the lead in the fuel. I mean, why uh, it even got there to begin with, and, and what made it such a premium for for racing. I mean, what what's the advantage of having lead in the fuel?
4: Good question. So, having lead in fuel increases what we call the octane. I'm going to get into a little bit of that when I roll over to my specification mm-hmm. page. But adding lead was an easy way to add octane. Adding octane any other way requires very, very, very specialized hydrocarbon components. And it's really hard to get above, say, a 100 octane in any kind of fuel. So when we go through the specification page, you'll see that this ab gas is 104 octane anti knock index and we'll go through that, but lead was the easy way to make octane. Gosh, when I started my career in fuel, I was selling a product called natural gasoline, about an 80 octane product to people in Louisiana. All they did was add lead to it to create an 87 octane fuel. It was pretty easy to make fuel for automobiles. So essentially by 1996, EPA had banned the use of leaded fuel for on-road vehicles and they restricted whatever lead was in the gasoline to 0.06 until they figured they got it out of the whole transportation system of the petroleum business. So now I want to turn to what the phase out will look like for ab gas, because EPA has been trying to get the lead out of ab gas for a long time. And they've met a lot of resistance from airplane owners and the federal aviation administration. So even though they started this process back in 1996, it really only got going about 2007 when an outside group petitioned the EPA asking them to regulate leaded aviation gasoline. They'd gone back and forth. You see 2008, the aircraft owners and pilots association filed a formal rebuttal to comments about EPA regulating this fuel because they said, hey, we don't have another fuel to replace this fuel. So you can't take it away until you prove to us that you've got an, an unleaded fuel that will work for us. So the EPA came out in 2010, submitted rulemaking, asked many companies to show that they could make this gas. And they've been going back and forth. During this time, 2013, the makers of aviation gas and others did submit unleaded gases for people to look at that would work in an aviation gas engine. And then because of these problems between EPA and FAA, they could not agree on a rollout. Now, here's the big news, and you may not have heard about this if you're not involved in the aviation industry. January 12th of this year, the EPA announced that it will take the necessary steps to regulate lead pollution from aircrafts, those steps starting with proposing an endangerment finding. If you Google endangerment finding, you'll see that that's not a very good thing for what they're about to call endangerment. Now, that's on leaded aviation gasoline, and they expect by the end of this year, they will start finalizing the phase out of leaded gasoline in aviation. That's going to come about between now and the year 2023. So if I could give an opinion here, Hyperfuels believe that if an unleaded gasoline alternative is approved, then leaded gas will begin phase out in the aviation market. What do you think about that, Jeff?
3: To me, it sounds scary knowing how important you know, fuel is in the performance of, of uh, an airplane. Uh, Awful, actually. So, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I always talk about safety issues. Uh, this is one right here that you know, this kind of experimentation, as great as everything is, until you put it, actually, I believe, in the the fleet. I'm talking about all the airplanes that need this type of fuel and find out the pros and the cons, which normally is. The pro is okay, it flies. The con is it crashes. So uh, I think that there, that's a risky test.
4: I don't yeah, want to. Do matter it. F- matter <laughs> of fact, uh, you know, we, we handled the shell racing fuels, and quite honestly, the shell racing fuels were high octane, unleaded racing fuels, and this was their method of testing out their aviation gas alternative, rather mm-hmm. to have it on the ground on four wheels rather than up in the air with. <laughs> with the ability that something happened, it would come crashing down. So good for them. All right. So here's what I want to start with here. The big difference of the autogas phase out of lead and the phase out of leaded fuel and aviation gas is auto gas stations have multiple tanks and dispensers versus aviation gas stations have only one tank to dispense gasoline. There is really no ability to phase in unleaded gas while phasing out the leaded gasoline. That's a, that's a predicament. So here's our opinion again. Hyperfuels believes that the phase out of leaded gas will be, and I'm going to add a little bit, much more abrupt than the phase out in auto gas. So based on the announcement by EPA and the alternative unleaded aviation gasolines that are ready to replace AB gas, we believe that most AB gas holding tanks at airports will be replaced with what they call UL 100, which is a 100 motor octane, or UL 94 which is a uh, 94 and above motor octane. That's quite a bit lower than what aviation gas is, which is a hundred motor octane number. As the airports only have one g- tank for aviation gasoline. So if leaded gas is eliminated, then it will no longer be available from the FBOs and airports, forcing users to buy in packages and drums and IBC totes. Here's a spec of leaded gasoline. So right now it's 0.56 grams per liter its octane is 99.6 mon most of the producers are making something that's 100 plus it's about 108 research octane number so the anti anti knock index R plus M over 2 is about 104 octane now in the aviation world they rate it as lean 100 and rich 130 so that's the way they characterize it not really transferable to what we do in the racing business the standard is ASTM D910, which has been around, you know, gosh, for many, many, many years. We have to realize that this fuel is essentially 100 years old. We've been using it that long. So will abgas be available? Yes, abgas will be available in the near term until EPA addresses how it will be phased out. But expect to see refiners exiting this market ahead of the phase out for this near 100-year-old fuel. I can throw a little comment here. Um, we've been shipping Avgas and packages since 2016 because it has been phased out in a number of other countries. So if they have legacy aircraft that they need to run and they must have this 100 low lead, uh, like a Super Mooshak, for example, then they've got to buy it in drums and have it transported to wherever they need it. That's going to be a big change in our market here in the United States. What are we looking at here? Um, Five gallon pail, 54 gallon net drum. We also put it in 275 gallon totes and we use 6,000 gallon ISO tanks. These are the kind of tanks that'll fit onto the chassis for say a 20 or 40 foot container. So, we have our expertise in shipping in 1998. We made a smart shipping high-performance fuels by UPS and FedEx using a five-gallon pail and an overpacked box. Now we have many, many, many more options that are available to us. So what are the ways we can ship? LTL, which is less than truckload for the least cost package shipping. That's using one to four drums on a pallet. We can ship bulk 3,000 gallons in a truck or an ISO container. A 40-foot container, we can pack up to 136 drums in a 40-foot shipping container and ship anywhere by ocean freight. Truck load, depending on the weight regulations, we can pack about 120 more drums in a long-haul trailer. So we can really ship just about any way possible. So I want to announce that we're going to be putting the gas on our ePartrade account this week. So if you'd like to have more information about the product, we're going to have it there. Just click as the instructions were given earlier. And we're going to kick it off with a special price for retailers and resellers and offer that we've got a promotion right now for free shipping for $3,000 plus orders in the continental United States. And we have Abgas in stock in drums and ready for shipment worldwide. Now the setup, if you're a member of EPAR trade, it's fairly easy just contact us using the contact page. We'll show that in the next slide. And there's no minimum purchase. You qualify your business with only a state license, brick and mortar location, or an online store truckside business. And again, we ship nationwide every weekday on UPS, FedEx, LTL. We also ship worldwide using LCL, less than container, and full containers. So Hyperfuels is a primary supplier of performance fuels and packages, and some fuels are offered in bulk as well. And we welcome your interest. So here's the instructions, how to look for us on the EPAR trade platform. You go down to the bottom, it says if you have questions, ask us directly, you can hook up with us and we can send you the information to get started. So Jeff, I wanna kick it back to you and see if uh, I left out anything that might be more important. See what you think. Yep, nope, I lost you, are you muted? I
3: thought I was. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I was trying to make sure I didn't have any background noise. <laughs> All my noise was coming out and not doing any good. Uh, now, what I was going to say is, it sounds like once again, you are ahead of the curve, and you realize you know there is an issue, and you you've got a, a contingency plan. So, anybody that happens to be on you know our webinar today, uh, if you are in a need for fuel, it can be gotten to you. All you have to do is, like I say, follow the instructions that you've got laid out uh, on your website and you can get it executed, and I was impressed that, uh, you know, you you have the ability to go international or here in the United States, so you can kind of figure out which one your pocketbook and your your overall need really needs to be. Um, I did understand that you guys have gone as far as going to Africa and getting it trucked in there because of, uh, again, uh, the lack of anything in that country pertaining to avgas they don't have.
4: That's right. They don't have in-place structure infrastructure right now, as we meant, because we, we talked about that. They only have one tank at the airport. If that has to be unleaded, there's no place for, for leaded fuel. So these countries that have to have these specialized um, aviation, they have to get these products delivered in some kind of package. And drums are the most convenient for them because they're easy to handle. People know how to handle them. Whereas something like a, a tote you know, weighs over 2,000 pounds. More, more difficult to handle but most anyone can handle a drum weighing less than 400 pounds
3: now with with the one thing i'm kind of a little bit confused with there there the, the government epa is forcing everybody in the aircraft industry to comply and change so that's a good way that of looking at with, with that being said, you can still come to your company and y'all can, you, you can make it and, 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 and give it to them, even though they can't get it in an airport. Is that the way I understand this Is make sure everybody I'm clear?
4: That's correct. So for example, the country in West Africa, we ship in containers to them. They bring it in at the port and they truck it to the remote locations where they have these aircraft landing. And they do the fills there right from the drums into the aircraft.
3: Well, that's great. Hey, we got a qu- question here though uh, from Rich Torme. Uh, He says you've been distributing racing fuels for a long time. What are the most um, are the most important ch- uh, changes you have seen so far? And do you see any other uh, new you know technology coming uh, this year or in the near future?
4: So the biggest changes we've seen over the time I've been in business since 1998 are the small changes in the dangerous goods shipping regulations. There've been mm-hmm. a few changes along the way. We had a change in 2015 of the safety data sheet it used to be called the material safety data sheet. Now it's called a SDS. And they came out with some what we call uh, pictograms, which visually show the dangers of certain fuels. And it required us to go and change all of our safety manuals. And we had to start putting these pictograms on labels or packaging. That was a big change for us. The other change we've seen is that the packaging, although it hasn't changed much, there are some new options that are coming out. Uh, You know, we were the first ones to use plastic pails rather than steel pails for some fuels because uh, the steel pails can be damaged very easily and they don't shed the damage like a plastic container does. So in most cases, we prefer a plastic container if it can hold the fuel. Some fuels will uh, leach out of the plastic pail, so it's not convenient to use steel. But those are probably the two biggest changes we've seen for the, the, the dangerous goods hazmat shipping and also the packaging that's available to us now.
3: Okay, we got we have some, uh, some greetings from one one individual. Uh, Tim Messenberg Beer uh, says hello in two thousand nine the TDI Cup that used your your diesel. And Mark, bar, yes. Mark, yep, Mark Tyson, uh, he want to say he hoped everything would is well with you. And uh, do you think that the timeline on the one hundred LL? Uh, is going to change? Will it possibly be pushed back as in the past? Do you see this, you know?
4: Probably a probably a 20% chance that it can be pushed back. But I think this current administration with that finding of endangerment, that's a key difference in all the other trials that they had to get this thing pushed. So uh, I think that this time they're going to make it happen.
3: Let me ask something again, I'm, I'm not wanting to get into politics, but it sounds like that's what we're having to do here a little bit because of the fact that um, is, it, is, is the FAA not, you know, seeing what you're seeing or are they, you know, where where do they stand in this situation?
4: Well, they're, they're kind of in the middle here because, you know, they came out and told the EPA, you can't phase it out if we don't have an alternative. Now we right. have at least five alternatives by my standards. Hey, Jamie, Jamie's the guy that flies, so he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, now, by, by my standards, we have the alternative fuels for them to use. So by saying that they're going to do it, the endangerment finding, I think they're going to get it done. And I don't think the FAA or the, or the Pilots Association is going to be able to stop it they may be able to slow it down or create some opportunity for a more gradual phase in. But as I said, how do you phase in a fuel when there's only one tank at the the airport?
3: Well, again, it works if you've got the technology, I guess, and and the the, uh, newer equipment. But I think here what we're really discussing and, and probably targeting to a certain degree, is more the, the vintage type aircraft, an aircraft that was designed to run on leaded fuel and can't be just you know, you can't just go in there and change a spark plug or you can't go in there and change a, a compression ratio. It's, it was going to be total overhaul type stuff to get it to work, correct?
4: I mean, That's correct. Some of these engines need that high octane to make them work. You know, we've been making unleaded gasoline and unleaded gasoline engines for some time now. Lycoming and Rotax have made those engines and they're active in other parts of the world. But some of these engines were not made for an unleaded fuel, not made for a lower octane fuel. So the, the, I, I see there's quite a few of the aviation guys on our call so today. Good, good to see your names there. Uh, they can testify to that more than I can.
3: We continue to get uh, questions, which is great. Keep them coming, folks. Really do appreciate your uh, contribution and being a a participant today. Um, Jamie Landers, like to say, it's been a while, and uh, he was wondering uh, any thoughts on GA. Again, I'm not. Don't get me. Don't don't get mad at me, guys. If I don't do it the right way, G A M I fuel uh, that would apply to you know to race applications
4: um i don't know that fuel jamie you'll have to call and tell me about that fuel that one's not on my radar
3: okay and uh, yeah gammy <laughs> uh that's why i say i'm not 100 sure if i'm right about what i'm saying but uh jay master uh, would like to know Lamont is uh, introducing uh this year a 100 renewable racing fuel. Uh, what does that mean, and is it going to be you know, the new trend?
4: It, it is a trend to go more renewable, maybe not 100% renewable, uh, but since we have a renewable fuel now, it's ethanol. It's uh, doused with a little bit of natural gasoline, so it's uh, not mm-hmm. not consumable, if you know what I mean, uh, mm-hmm. but we've, we've had that for a long time. As a matter of fact, in the 1920s, uh, when GM was studying octane, that was the product that they wanted to use to increase octane, but they were worried that they couldn't control ethanol manufacturing and it wouldn't be a, a, a good source of supply. And it would have to have to have a treat rate that's pretty high compared to just 0.5 or 5 grams per liter. So yeah, we are going to see renewable fuels in racing. We're working with Total and Elf right now, and they're, are, they're coming up with some of those same fuels. I've had some success with renewable fuels in the past. Uh, We have a renewable isooctane that we can come up with with alcohols. We also have a renewable isobutanol, which is a very high octane of about 107, which can be used in racing fuel. So I'm not seeing a 100% renewable racing fuel now that can be mass distributed. But we are going to see some partial renewable fuels like we do with some jet fuels. And we'll, we should see a more renewable product in racing this year and years in the future.
3: You know, with that being said, um, I know that a lot of people are trying to, you know, take what's available and make it better. I mean, the average, the average you know, guy driving around the road, you know, got, got a high performance car and he wants to get a little more pop out of it. Is there such a thing that you, uh, as adding octane boost, adding lead? to what is basically at the pump and changing it enough to be worthwhile to do? Or is that just kind of like hocus pocus?
4: That's a great question. We should pin that down for the next uh, the next tech review. Yes, there are some okay. octane additives. We, we, we can no longer just treat with, with lead. That's not allowed, it's a poison. It's absorbed through mm-hmm. the skin, so that's not allowed. But uh, we have been doing a lot of research on octane enhancers. Most of them, quite honestly, don't do that much, but there are a couple out there that do pretty well and can really add what we call octane numbers rather than points, which is like a 10th of an, of an octane number, but add real octane numbers.
3: Uh, would something like propylene oxide fall in that category?
4: So that's more like a fuel fuel additive, uh, but it's, okay. it's, 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 it's not very readily available and it's more dangerous. So what we try to do is find things that are not that dangerous like we've mm-hmm. been using isobutanol which is a, an alcohol okay. like ethanol but it's not what we call hygroscopic it doesn't absorb moisture it, it rejects moisture and water so that's about 107 octane and we'll definitely add but again you've got to dose that in pretty high volume 10 percent or more to be able to get even an increase of one octane number so for every 12% of isobutanol, we get one octane number increase in the fuel. So it takes a lot to really increase those octane numbers of substantial amount, say two or more.
3: The only reason I bring that up, just a funny story. I know that, uh, at one time in, in, in a certain racing series, a lot of people were doctoring fuel to try to get a little, a little bit more out of it. And I know some of the sanctioning bodies got pretty, um, Got pretty concerned about it. And at the same time, uh, they knew what they were looking for pretty quick. As they like to say, mm, they don't pass the bobber test. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, th- th- that happens in every industry. I remember going up and speaking to a propane group and one of the fellows and I think it was in Kentucky came up and asked me, so do you see anything wrong with us adding formaldehyde or propane to extend the volume? And I was just flabbergasted that anybody, anybody was in. And- adding formaldehyde to propane to to make an extra buck. But it happens out there. People think they know best. But honestly, when it comes to fuel, these refiners that I work with, especially the guys in France with Elf, they look very hard at octane numbers and what we have to do. And engine management is coming in to be key here. So we're doing things now with unleaded at lower octanes that can beat some higher octane alternatives but the engines have to be made differently. So we'll be coming out with one of those on our next tech uh, when we get some new, some of these new ELF fuels in, I'll be bringing you back on and we'll be talking about how our lower octane can be to higher octane gasoline.
3: You know, I, that sounds like, you know, great, great information and great news for, as far as we're here, as far as us here at ePartrate. But, you know, when you're working through this process, uh, what's it like to go through that process? I mean, you know, when you're talking to you know, companies that you're dealing with, but more so when those companies are trying to maybe work with engine builders and and people who are trying to come up with these new ideas. What's that process like?
4: Well, it's an iterative process for the most part, and all the engine builders will agree with me when I talk about this. It's an iterative process. You know, you're, you're trying the fuel, you're you're trying to, to reach the the maximum. Uh, horsepower advantage with the minimum, uh, let's say, stress on the engine, heat. So we work with that to kind of portray it. I I think the biggest problem I'm having right now is that I'm using near 100-year-old octane measurements to be able to look at a brand new fuel, and it's just not working anymore. So we use these engines called octane engines, one's a motor octane, one's a research engine, and we test our fuel. But what I'm seeing now with the additives that the refiners are putting in race fuel to prevent Mm -hmm. detonation, to prevent uh, uh, friction, those octane measurements are no longer valid for me because we're seeing these unleaded fuels outperform leaded fuels, which shouldn't be the case if we're only looking at the octane engine results. So we're, we're trying to come up with another test that will test Engine predetonation in a way that's different from the current octane test because these engines we use are very, very old technology. So we're, we're working with some of the labs to see if they can come up with a new way of testing that will evidence why 104 octane unleaded can beat 112 leaded fuel in terms of performance and, and resistance to predetonation.
3: You know, you referred to predetonation uh, several times during this uh, discussion. When you're working with these engineers and engine builders, what are the, what are the tails? When you're sitting there, you know, you pull the hammer down. Is it, is the heat going up? Is it, you know, are you hearing a change in the, in the, uh, I don't know, watching the dyno run itself? I mean, what, are are there any kind of tails that say, wait, this fuel is good? Or, well, well, we're getting ready to have a problem. Cause you know what I mean is, you know, is it damaging the, the valve, the valve seat? Is it having some kind of effect on the edge of the piston? You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm curious about that.
4: Well, that's some of the things we're trying to do. We're trying to de- develop a testing system that will give us a hint of pre-detonation before it occurs. When pre-detonation occurs, you'll hear it, first of all. You'll see it because the, the engine exhaust gases go way crazy because you're, you're detonating the fuel before it gets to top dead center and the spark plug has a chance to react. So a lot of things go wrong, but we're usually seeing it after the fact. What we're trying to do now is come up with some testing procedures and, and some equipment that will give us a warning of predetonation that's about to occur. So then we can dial back to the, to the previous setting so we don't go over that and actually have true predetonation.
3: Okay, we got uh, Rich again, he's got a question here about would you recommend changing viscosity on lubricants when increasing octanes and are there metrics available?
4: So that's an engine builder question. You know, the viscosity of lubricants, we have some, some, some very good advances in lubrication right now. And the viscosity is going to be dependent upon the tolerances of the engine and the severity of how much that engine can tolerate in terms of heat. You know, friction That is based on tolerances, heat. Both those things work against the lubricants. So those engine builders have to specify what kind of lubricants will work with that. So I can't really tell you go to a different lubrication viscosity if the engine builder doesn't recommend that. That's just not our place to do. So stick with what the engine builder recommends because they know that engine bests on the tolerances and the heat that it's able to, to handle.
3: I think that's a good recommendation. because Tim had a, a uh, question along the same lines, because you know you're going to if you lose lead, you're losing a little bit of lubricant also. So uh, I think that's a great recommendation. Let let the guy that's putting this thing together, he's got his guy's reputation on the line, uh, help you help guide you on a situation like that.
4: Well, that that's a very good point, and that's what I'm talking about. These new additives, new additives, for example, Shell's additive to replace lead in aviation gasoline Mm -hmm. they used a um, a nitrogen type compound and it actually performed better than lead at reducing friction so there's a case where lead is not the best alternative there are some other things that are better however they're very expensive lead is cheap to make and it's cheap to put into the industry again we're using a, a, a A system that was developed 80 years ago to put lead into gasoline it's a closed loop system so nobody can touch that lead going into gasoline
3: it's just not very efficient all right we got mark here he would like to know and i think this is a really good question the term renewable sustainable or synthetic are thrown around you know all day long by people who fully don't understand the terms we need to educate the motorsports industry on what is available and yet sustainable for the motorsports market we want to work towards sustainability but not harm the growth of motorsports
4: very 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 true so when we talk about sustainability from my viewpoint my opinion only it's not sustainable to use a source of food as a fuel i want to say it again it's not sustainable to use a source of food as a feedstock for a fuel um, for example, we can make fuels out of, out of agricultural crops like castor beans or jatropha beans. It's not a food source. It's relatively available. You can get more than one harvest a year, yet we're not doing that. That would be sustainable. Instead, we're using corn, soybeans to make a renewable fuel from a food source. And to me, that is a renewable fuel, but it's not sustainable. When we talk about synthetic, synthetic means we're not using a renewable feedstock. So, for example, Sin Diesel, one of the products that we carry is a gas to liquid diesel. This blew me away when I first started back in 1996. It was a diesel fuel that came to me as an off-spec product. It was clear. It had a viscosity. Guys, get this diesel. Regular viscosity is 4.0 centistokes. This was... 1.9 centistopes. The problem with diesel is we can't flow it fast enough in the engine to get it to burn fast enough. This stuff was half the viscosity of diesel fuel, and most diesel has a cetane of 42 number. This was 63 number, and the cetane is a measurement of the rapidity of the combustion process. How fast is that going to be lit up in, in the cylinder? It performed fabulously, and we've set many, many, many world records with the send Diesel product out there.
3: So renewable, sustainable, synthetic. Well, it's, to me, it's it seems like it's a moving target uh, that can be so confusing in so many different ways. Because again, what you just described, it, it doesn't, <laughs> my simple mind says, that doesn't compute, but the numbers don't lie.
4: Right. It, exactly. am, I, am I hearing that right? That's right. So we, we have to rely on numbers. And Jeff, I guess what I can say is we, we may not have the equipment to test properly what we're seeing in the real world right now from all mm-hmm. of our old measurement systems, which are 40 years or older.
3: Well, I, I'm scared to say that it, uh, sooner or later it's going to catch up. Because the way you put it, it's, it's taken a long time to even somebody probably to pay attention to the fact that it is, and I use the term very loosely, it is antiquated and it's time to be uh, revisited and redone and, and updated to the point to where it can catch up with what modern technology is basically forcing us all to do.
4: That's right. That's right. Very true.
3: Well, Jess, I, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. And I, again, I say you're, uh, you're, your company is ahead of the curve, and I look forward to speaking to you the next time because I know if we get back on anytime soon, there's some kind of break has happened uh, in your <laughs> world of fuel that is affecting everybody around the world. So I look forward to, to getting an update.
4: Well, thanks very much. Uh, Jeff, we do appreciate that. And we really appreciate EPAR Trade having these kinds of opportunities for suppliers to talk directly to end users and resellers out there because I'm only one guy. I have a message. You make that message easy for me to get to other people. And I, I really love you guys for that. We've been well, with you since the beginning and we'll, we'll be there for, for a long time.
1: Th- thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. And uh, and, you, you know, you have so much expertise and we, we love to have you uh, uh, on. And so thank you very much. Uh, as we mentioned in our uh, first uh, session of 2022, we have reduced a little bit uh, the program to about 45 minutes uh, because, you know, people are busy. And but the program is being recorded each week. So this uh, webinar has been recorded. It will be posted later on the Portrait platform, on our YouTube channel. It's going to be distributed to our newsletters. Uh, and uh, next week we will be back uh, Jeff and uh, we're going to be hosting our friends from Racer they're doing a special on the new NASCAR it's going to be hosted with Brad Gilley and uh, uh, Kelly Crandall and uh, that's about it for today so thank you very much everyone and we'll see you guys next week
2: registering on ePAR trade is easy Fill out your name email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePARTrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePAR Trade.